My name is Richard Morellis, and I want to welcome you to the Prison Post. This is your podcast for conversations surrounding the need to reform prisons from the perspective of formerly incarcerated people, community members, and leaders in the restorative justice movement. The Prison Post will feature an episode every Wednesday with people who are in the fight to restore lives and heal communities. Welcome back to the Prison Post. My name is Richard Morellis. Today, I'm excited about our guest. Her name is Zykea Prince. She's a graduate of California State University, Northridge, and has worked as an educator and social worker for, for the last several years. She's been a fierce advocate for her husband, who was sentenced under the California's Three Strikes Law, and for many others who are directly impacted by the carceral system. She has dedicated her life to disrupting the school-to-prison pipeline, to fighting to end mass incarceration, and empowering people who have been oppressed to fight for the freedoms they deserve. Zykea is currently working with the Repeal California's Three Strikes Law Coalition as the campaign lead to build a coalition of grassroots organizations, community stakeholders, and people, uh, impacted people, to repeal the Three Strikes Law with a ballot initiative in 2022. So if this affects you, this is something that you really want to uh, take uh, close attention to this week. Uh, welcome to the Prison Post, Zykea. It's great to have you with us. Thank you so much, um, Rich, for, for having me. I, I really appreciate this opportunity. Yeah, my co-host, uh, Jason Bryan, he's on assignment in Colorado. Uh, we got some great things happening out there, and he said to give his hellos and best wishes to you. Thank you. Send them back to him once you, once you speak to him, please. I will. I will. Yeah, um, <clears throat> one of the things, uh, one of the ways that we first got to meet you is uh, we, we just graduated from the Institute, Initiate Justices, Institute of Impacted Leaders, and you were one of our two uh, facilitators for 12 weeks, so probably about 36 hours of, of work, uh, training us in uh, legislative visits, uh, how to do advocacy work, how to cam campaign and organize for new laws. And uh, we really learned a lot from you. We appreciate the work that you put into uh, being our facilitator, uh, along with Monica and uh, Taina. And we're just so grateful for all that we learn. And it's cool to be graduates uh, along with yourself. Yes, thank you. Um, and yes, like we're, we're peers now. You know, I, I graduated from the institute um, last year, and so as you all are graduates, we're we're all outside organizers. And and um, yeah, the Institute of Impacted Leaders is a great program for folks who um, are impacted by the carceral um, system and really um, want to tap into the power that they have and um, really start to um, get more involved in the um, policy making um, policy making arena um, and really you know be better equipped to help fight for the freedom of you know our loved ones who are who are inside. Yeah, for sure. Def not only did you go through the Institute of Impacted Leaders but you became a facilitator, and now you're the lead for the California's uh, uh, next move, uh, the uh, 2022 ballot initiative to repeal the three strikes law. So I wanted to ask you a little background story first on, you know, how did you get to where you are today uh, to be passionate about this work? What's a little bit of your background going from where you were at one time as a, a, a college graduate to being where you are today? Yeah, um, thank you for asking that question. Um, so for me, I, uh, you know, have always been kind of aware of social justice issues. Um, my father was was very adamant about teaching us uh, about the world we live in and 
you know, how racism affects us and how, um, you know, systems um, have ingrained racism and, um, and, you know, he was a part of like the black liberation movement. And so um, I grew up knowing, you know, that the system didn't work for everyone. And, um, you know, with going to uh, Cal State Northridge, um, you know, a lot of, you know, my learning, um, I, I was starting to see that, like, what my dad had instilled in me was like coming through in like all of all of my work, like every paper that I wrote, every um, presentation that I did um, was around kind of, you know, liberation um, of oppressed folks. And, um, you know, once I graduated, it was kind of like, OK, what do I do now? Um, and I always felt like I, I was here on Earth to, you know, liberate the oppressed. Um, but I didn't really know exactly how I was going to do that. I didn't know how it was going to look. And so, um, after I graduated, I became a social worker Right. and, um, you know, I was a social worker for, um, you know, government agency for the past several years. And, um, you know, I was, it, it was okay. Um, but I didn't feel like I, um, paid the bills, was, paid the bills. Yeah, you know, it paid the bills. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people get into social work because they want to help. Right. Um, I think, you know, with kind of a lot of bureaucracy and, and just the way the systems are made, um, we end up doing, unfortunately, a little bit more harm than than mm-hmm. our intention is. And, um, you know, I was waking up every morning and, you know, like I said, I didn't hate what I was doing, but I wasn't happy i wasn't feeling fulfilled right so um you know when i you know met my husband is when i really started to like get involved in kind of carceral justice or criminal justice um and i you know once i um you know was kind of working with my husband and and trying to um, you know, find different laws that apply to him. My husband is a, a three striker. Um, he was sentenced to 35 years to life. And um, in December, it will make 18 years of incarceration for him. And so, you know, so often there are reforms that have, you know, passed. And unfortunately, like we were always carved out of those reforms. Right. And so, you know, we were getting tired of like being left behind, um, which I think is is probably the sentiment for a lot of people who have a three strike sentence. Like um, in almost every um, policy, every uh, piece of legislation, like we're we're always carved out. And so, um, you know, I, I was just tired of, you know, waiting for somebody to come save us. And so I started to like get involved myself. And so I initially became a member of the Ella Baker Center and um, started to network and, and, you know, really kind of understand like what, you know, these policies were, Um, you know, a lot of people who are affected, like we don't really know the policies that affect us. And so, um, you know, I, I just wanted to like learn as much as I could. So, um, and meet as many people as I could. And, and I always tell people, um, you know, don't be afraid to tell your story because you never know who can help you. So I was like telling every, any and everybody about my husband, you know, in hopes that somebody can help. Um, right. but 
you know, I, you know, started kind of volunteering with the Ella Baker Center and I was given the opportunity to testify at a public safety committee hearing um, because they were working on, um, well, the um, Women's Policy Institute um, at the time, which the mentor is Emily Harris um, for the criminal justice issue. Um, They were on SB 1393, mm-hmm. which um, would give discretion back to judges on um, whether or not they would apply the, the nickel prior or the five-year prison prior enhancement. Um, and my husband has those enhancements on top of his three-strike sentence. So um, I was able to testify at the Capitol, and um, that experience really kind of ignited a fire in me. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I never really been to the Capitol and and kind of experienced, um, you know, how kind of powerful um, it is to be in that space. And, and you know, I, I don't think that um, in my community specifically, like, we're really kind of taught the power that we have at the Capitol or, you know, in policy and, and things like that. So um, I was able to kind of, you know tap into that being at the Capitol. And, um, you know, I just, from there started to try to connect with more people. I connected with initiate justice and did the Institute of impacted leaders last year. Um, and you know, that program, like I was saying earlier, like really, um, teaches the legislative process and, um, you know, kind of like get your wills, um, rolling about like, how to create policy and find an author and, and things like that. So I think it's really cool. I think it's really cool that you, that you did that. So you, you were in the public safety committee in the assembly. Yeah. I testified um, at the public safety committee hearing. That's actually Um, where I first met Emily Harris as well. A really really nice person committed. Yeah, definitely. I I absolutely love Emily. Um, And I met her at a, Prop 57, um, it was a, a public comment um, hearing. And, you know, that was kind of initially like where I guess my first really start in connecting with people was, um, you know, Prop 57. We we thought, you know, it was going to include us. Uh, my husband in particular has a nonviolent offense. And so we really thought that that was going to be an opportunity for us to get before the parole board. Um, but for a long time, um CDCR, who was given the authority to come up with the regulations, were uh, excluding people with three strikes. Um, so that was, I went to kind of give my public comment at that hearing, and that's how I met Emily. Right on. So so you so you met Emily, and how, how did you come into um, uh, transition from there to working with uh, Erlon Woods and, and the California's, what is it called, the Three Strikes Appeal um, um, Coalition? Yeah, we, we have a long name. <laughs> I know, I was like... <laughs> it's the Repeal California's Three Strikes Law Coalition. Okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, with, uh, you know, like I said, connecting with, you know, different organizations. Um, there were no organizations that were, um, you know, really touching three strikes. Um, and, you know, Erlon Woods is uh, the co-host and, you know, co-producer and um, of one of my absolute favorite podcasts, Ear Hustle. And, um, you know, in listening to the podcast, uh, there was an episode, um, I can't remember what season, I believe at the end of the second season, where um, he talks about how his sentence was commuted by Governor Brown. 
And that just gave me so much hope because for, you know, a long time, like people with three strikes weren't getting their sentences commuted. Like there's additional steps that you have to go through to go through the commutation process. And so, you know, hearing that he had his sentence commuted, I was, you know, overjoyed and, you know, had hope. And, and so, you know, once I knew he was home, I I started doing my investigation, trying to find him so that I can reach out to him. And um, I eventually, you know, got a hold of him and, and, you know, really was, was being persistent about connecting, connected with him and tried to do um, something that would change the three strikes law. And so uh, last year, um, probably probably about a year ago now, um, we finally kind of had a meeting of the minds. It was Erlon, myself, and, and other folks in the, um, the advocacy world who got together to kind of, um, for one, look at some of the polling that Erlon had done um, between, you know, amending three strikes and repealing three strikes um, and seeing how we could work together and and do something around three strikes. And so, you know, then a couple months later, COVID hits, um, that kind of halted the process for a few months. And, um, you know, luckily we joined the Zoom universe and, and just started to continue to connect over Zoom. Um, and so over the last several months, we've been kind of organizing and and laying the infrastructure um, for this coalition, uh, Repeal California's Three Strikes Law Coalition, to um, really build a grassroots movement um, to where the people um, are changing this, this oppressive law. Yeah. I, I just want to tell you on behalf of the three strikers that I know, uh, that are still incarcerated, especially those in Soledad, that just really grateful for the work that you're doing. I had two um, cellmates, we call them cellies in there. Um, I was sentenced to 25 years to life as well, but not under the three strikes law. But I lived with one, one, of, my, one of my cellies for um, eight years and another one for four and a half years. And the one for eight years, he, he, his third strike was a petty theft with a prior. And to do 18 years, you know, something that that's that some people would do that amount of time for a much a violent offense or, or, or something, you know, that people, the, the average public person wouldn't imagine that somebody would petty theft. Uh, he stole a phone uh, would do be, be doing 18 years for. And um, he was in for 18 years. And when Prop uh, 36, I think it was 36 or 47, which allowed for some three strikers to be released. Um, Mm -hmm. He was able to go home and, um, you know, it was in his mind, he never thought he would go home. I mean, I was in Soledad for 18 years and two months. And I remember a time when there were hundreds of three strikers there and when no lifers were going home and it seemed like nothing would ever change. And to see so many of them go home uh, after Prop 36 and after Prop 47 was was such a blessing. There was so much joy and happiness. Um, It was one of the saddest days I ever saw in prison when, I think it was called Prop 66, uh, failed um, 47% to 53%. The polls were up early in the night. Everybody was watching. Everybody stayed up all night. That next day, the walk to Chow was the quietest walk that I had ever experienced. Um, it, was, it was really sad that so many of them were shot down. But I think it was like a decade later when, you know, 36 and 47 were allowed a lot of them to get home. Now, my other Sally, who I was, who's still in, he's got 24 years on a 25 to life. And, and he had a residue possession, uh, less than, less than a half of a, 
a nickel bag of uh, methamphetamines, and he's been in 24 years on that. And those those three strikers that stayed behind, they had this strong feeling that they had been forgotten, that they um, weren't amongst those um, who were included in those first um, two waves. Like you said, they were carved out, and they hadn't heard anything for, for years now. And to, you know, that's, that's one of the big hot-button issues. How come you guys don't work on three strikes out there? You know, how come no one's working on three strikes? They ought to end that law. And it seems like the, uh, it's the uh, sentiment of the average citizen out here um, who feels duped. Uh, my grandpa, uh, he was on the phone with me the other day and asking me some questions, you know. And it felt good, first of all, for my grandpa to be asking me questions on how, you know, how should I vote on Prop 20 and Prop 25? And, yeah. you know, he already knows about Prop 17, but yeah. yes, on yeah. 17. But my grandpa was asking me um, these questions. And he says, because I don't want what happened in the 90s again when I felt like I was, um, you know, um, conned into voting for three strikes. And if I would have known then what I know now, I would have never voted for that. So I just want to say, you know, appreciate your work, appreciate what you're doing uh, on behalf of so many who still feel forgotten in there. Yeah, um, most definitely. And, and, you know, just around kind of, um, you know, back in 1994, um, when this law was um, put into place, um, you know, thinking of then and then, you know, from now, you know, it's been 26 and a half mm -hmm. years. And um, the law was implemented and, and maintained based on fear um, versus fact. And, um, you know, there was a lot of propaganda um, back in 94 around um, polyclass, which was, you know, an unfortunate and, and horrific thing that happened to this little girl, um, you know, that you know, wasn't too far from where, where I grew up. Um, and so I remember watching the local news and hearing all about poly class and things like that. Um, but a lot of it um, was used to kind of fear monger and, and really convince the public that, um, you know, their safety was at risk. Um, and so, you know, things were, were really confusing and, and not to mention the way, you know, our ballot books are written, um, that make it really hard for people to understand, um, you know, initiatives. And so um, back in 2004, which you were talking about with Prop 66, you know, everybody thought it was going to pass. Everybody thought like, okay, we're going to fix this law that we made a mistake with. And, um, you know, Governor Schwarzenegger was the, go the governor at the time. Um, and he was had all of these fear mongering ads that, you know, were popping up at the last minute and, you know, at the, the last minute, you know, when a lot of folks did go to bed that night, like it was, it was winning. Um, and then when they woke up the next morning, you know, they counted all the ballots and, and it didn't pass. And, you know, yes, it was, it was so disheartening for so many people inside. Um, you know, I know, you know, from my husband's perspective and then, um, you know, even in, in talking to Erlon and in, in his perspective, um, he started doing some organization um, while he was incarcerated to try to change the law. Um, and he was working on an initiative, I believe, back in 2017 um, with a, a volunteer who was on the outside. And it just um, it being inside and, and trying to organize something outside. Right. It's very difficult, and, and it wasn't getting enough traction. And that was called Choose One, right? Yeah, Choose One. 
Um, and so, um, you know, we're, we're still connected to Choose One, um, but we, um, you know, are building a coalition of um, a lot of different organizations. But, you know, his kind of initial response to do something was out of the disappointment of Prop 66. Um, and then, right. you know, as you then Prop 36 came along in 2012 and then Prop 47 in 2014. Um, but there were so many people that were excluded. Um, those were amendments to the law. And, you know, that's why it's so important for us to repeal the law, um, which a repeal would completely strike it from our Constitution um, and versus an amendment, which would just make changes to the law. Um, And that's kind of what we've seen in the, you know, the last waves of of reform with three strikes with 36 and 47. Um, Zakia, why do you think it is that so many different organizations out here have haven't taken on the repeal process. Why, why do some go for the amendment and, and, and you guys are going for the appeal? Um, what's, it seems like a no brainer. I mean, I've, I've read so many transcripts where judges, the judges who sentenced the person to 25 to life or 35 to life under three strikes law, <clears throat> the judges were saying themselves, look, I don't want to give you this amount of time. I don't think petty theft with the prior, I don't think residue possession deserves 25 to life or 35 to life. I don't think um, I don't I don't want to give you this, but my hands are tied because of the three strikes law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, my personal opinion is that, um, you know, for one, it, it's it's a hard um, hill to climb. Um, you know, because it was voted in by the people, um, you need a, um, in the legislature to go through the legislature, you need a super majority. So you need at least two thirds of the legislature to vote yes, to put it on the ballot. Um, and so, you know, anytime you need like two thirds majority, it takes a lot of work versus just a regular majority where you just need, you know, one over 50%. And so, um, you know, it, it's hard to organize and and convince enough of our legislators who oftentimes, you know, aren't the boldest people right. um, to say, yes, let's put this on the ballot. And, um, you know, that that's one thing. Like, you need a two-thirds in the legislature. Um, and, you know, either way, it has to go on the ballot to be voted out since the people are the ones who voted it in um, and it needs to be a change to the constitution. And so, um, you know, folks are afraid of losing for one. I, I, I think, you know, people who, um, you know, have maybe done like some reforms and things like that. I, I recently did an interview with, with George Gascon, um, who was a big supporter of Prop 36 and um, also um, was behind Prop 47. And um, I know when they were talking about, you know, doing 36, you know, some of the people who um, were behind and supporting 36 wanted to do a repeal at that time. But, you know, they were told that they were crazy. It would never pass. Um, and so to try to get, you know, something, a win, um, you know, they, they had to, they felt that they needed to, you know, cut people out in order to get that win. Um, and so, you know, it, it's, it's just one of those things where, 
it, it's going to be a hard feat to repeal um, because you need so many people right. to support your cause, um, which I think the people of California are more than ready. Um, and and so it's just a matter of, you know, going through uh, the process like ours to say, okay, this is time. Yeah. I, I, I saw the interview you did with uh, George Gascon and he was one of the ones that also supported prop 57 and mm-hmm. um, prop 57 ended up passing. I think we have some precedent right now with, with prop 17, the right for those on parole to vote um, because that also required uh, assembly constitutional amendment uh, two thirds. And, and I'll tell you the truth when I was in prison and, and and we were talking about um, one of the laws that we're going to fight for is those on parole to vote. I thought, why are we putting our energy behind that? They're never going to allow those uh, in, uh, on parole to vote. And especially if it requires a two-thirds uh, majority in the, in, the, in, the, in the assembly and then in the Senate, it's just, it's just not going to happen. Let's just get behind something else, like three strikes, uh, repealing three strikes or some new amendments or something. But I was sh- shocked to see out here and and very pleased to see out here um ACA6 which is which is now prop 17 go all the way through uh the assembly pass go all the way through the senate pass and now we have it on prop 17 it's polling well so what are what are some early polls on the repeal uh on repealing three strikes and do you see that as a precedent for hey maybe now some of these assembly persons and senators are willing to get behind things that may look harder than just uh, uh, um, amending things, amending laws. Yeah, um, so we we did have some polling um, that was done last year, and um, it was trying to determine if people would support an amendment or um, a repeal. And so um, the amendment did poll higher, but um, the repeal did poll higher than 50%. Um, And so um, with polling, the, the the thing about polling is, you know, things change so quickly. Um, and so it's kind of outdated to, to talk about that polling a little bit. Um, and, you know, we're working on getting additional polling, um, but we needed to kind of wait until after this election cycle because so many pollsters are, are consumed with, with you know, this election and what's currently on the ballot. But, um you know, as soon as the election is over, we are going to conduct another poll. Um, and I, you know, my gut is telling me that it's going to poll substantially higher to repeal um, three strikes. And um, but, yeah, I mean, even, um, you know, in thinking about how, you know, what's now Prop 17 and, you know, what was ACA 6 did their polling, um, just a matter of the language that is used oftentimes really um, will will kind of sway the poll. Like um, when you use a lot of people centered language um, and folks can see the humanity and the people that, you know, they would either be voting for or against. Um, we see like a substantial difference um, in, in right. regard to, you know, ACA six um, or prop 17. Now um, when it was asked, you know, if people who have completed their prison sentence should have the right to vote, um, you know, it, it pulled, really high versus, you know, if um, parolees should have the right to vote. Um, So, you know, we're definitely keeping those things in mind, um, you know, because we want people to know that people with three strikes 
our people and um you know they they do not deserve to spend the rest of their life um in prison and so we really want folks to um you know just in this movement period of trying to bring people home we really want people to see um the humanity of of people who are currently incarcerated I agree with that 100%. And um, I appreciate your fight to end mass incarceration. I appreciate your, your belief that people are redeemable, that anyone can change. You know, there, there are some people that uh, like my, my last cellmate, you know, he, he had a DUI um, manslaughter in the seventies. You know, he's in his late fifties. Now he had one in the seventies, committed another violent crime. He was a part of a robbery in like 84. And then he went all the way 10 years and never, and never committed any crimes. I mean, he was, he had a great job, a family man, a dad, and he fell off, got into addiction, you know, where they could have, they could have given him treatment. Could have went to a treatment facility, but instead they say, the judge says, Hey, my hands are tied. I'm going to have to give you a life sentence now. And people are, people are shocked by that. I don't think the public knows. One of the things that, that public, that that sways the public a lot is, is uh, recidivism rates. And I think that assembly persons and senators also look at that as well. So what are, I know that now um, many three strikers have gone home because, you know, the law came into effect in the 94 and, and now here we are, um, you know, 25 years later and many three strikes are out and some three strikers are out and many are not anymore and, and not yet. But what are some of the recidivism rates of those who have been released so far? Yeah, so um, there uh, recidivism rates for folks who have three strikes are, you know, extremely low. Um, it's about mm-hmm. 1.3%, um, you know, of, of people who have recidivized um, who were given a three strike sentence and released. Um, so, I mean, that is extremely low, um, especially in comparison to the national rate, which I believe is like 30%. Um, and um, I'm not recalling the, the, um, normal rate of recidivism in California um, for folks with with shorter sentences, but yeah, it's it's about one point three percent for folks who were sentenced under the three strikes law. So pretty much none. <laughs> I mean, one out of a hundred. Yeah. 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 I also think about the amount of time. I mean, that they're doing in there twenty four, twenty five years. I think some mm-hmm. of the some people, if they did one week or one day in jail, they would think twice about putting people in for that, that amount of time. I mean, it, it is a long time and monotonous days. And, mm-hmm. and I think about, you know, the numbers, the numbers behind what it costs to incarcerate somebody for a year. Um, do you know those rates? Yeah. So it, it um, costs about $75,000 per year per person um, to incarcerate them. And so, you know, for somebody who is sentenced under three strikes, that's a minimum of about $800,000 that we're, we're spending to incarcerate this person. Um, and then when you think about um, an indeterminate sentence, which an indeterminate sentence is um, a set number of years to life. So um, three strikes, Anyone who has a three strike sentence um, is sentenced to at least a minimum of 25 years to life. Um, but that does not mean you will go home in 25 years because you then have to go to the parole board, um, which, you know, could be a whole nother conversation. Um, but the 
board of um, parole hearings definitely needs an overhaul and and um, you know because it's it's a subjective system and um, you know a lot of people go to the parole board and end up you know getting denials uh, five year seven year fifteen year denials um, and you know are are, are stuck in the system. Um, for much longer than 25 years. And, um, you know, I know someone who was sentenced uh, to 15 years to life, and I believe they're going on, like, uh, their 32nd year um, of incarceration. And I know, you know, in a conversation last week, there was somebody uh, mentioned who was sentenced to six months to life um, and ended up serving 18 years before they they died in prison. Um, and so, you know, you you hear about these stories often and so thinking about how much money we're spending to incarcerate people um you know how who have such a low recidivism rate and um you know again the the minimum is about eight hundred thousand dollars um per person and then we think of how many people we have incarcerated just under the three strikes law um you know the the amount is substantial and, and ridiculous, really. Yeah, it really sounds uh, fiscally irresponsible. I mean, if the public knew, if that was in the in the little blurb they put in the in the ballot box, well, for twenty four years, it'll it'll cost. I mean, um, what somewhere around one point eight to two million dollars, and that's not including when he goes to the doctor, and then mm-hmm. if you if you have medical medical issues, you're talking up to five million dollars a person for twenty four years. I mean, is that the best solution? Yeah. And I mean, in, in talking about, you know, people who are currently serving um, a three strike sentence, um, they are now considered the aging population. You know, so many um, of them were sentenced in the 90s um, and have served, you know, like I said, the law was implemented 26 years ago. So, you know, 26 years later, they are, you know, in their late fifties, um, some are in their sixties. So, um, you know, if you're thinking about the additional costs that are needed, um, you know, for aging population, it it just, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. I think a lot of uh, people don't know that you mentioned the guy who passed away. It's a a terribly sad story. I had a neighbor, um, six months before I was released after 21 years, uh, he was sentenced to seven years to life and he was on his 42nd year. And I remember um, talking to him every day and he had been to the uh, board about 14 times. And mm-hmm. when I went to the board and was found suitable, he was, he was proud and he was happy, but he said, I've already given up hope. I've given yeah. up hope. I'm not going to go to board anymore. They just continue to deny me. They don't listen to me. I'm a changed person. It was seven to life. I'm here for 42 years already. And I remember a couple of days after that, he had a, he had a heart attack in front of my cell. He, and he, and he died. Uh, they came and worked on him, did CPR for a good hour. Um, the incarcerated fire firefighters came and they did they worked on him for a half hour and he just didn't bring him back. And I was just looking out the window of my door of them working on his chest. And I was just praying, come on, man, come on, come back, come back, come back. Times are changing, man. Somebody's going to see you don't need to be here anymore. And, um, you know, they couldn't bring him back and to see him, uh, pass away right before me and that affected me. And, and I think about that now when we advocate, when we advocate for new laws and to, uh, dignify and to humanize people and to get them to hear these stories and to see us and to look us in the eyes and see, um, that there's gotta be another way because these, um, ideas that they have, they, they, they don't work. They don't work. Yeah. And if something don't work, we got to change it. And you think about the other countries in the world 
um, so many other countries, their idea of incarceration has to do with true rehabilitation. Where yeah. We still have this idea to, about punishment. Uh, well, if I just put him in there 25 years, he's going to come out a better person. He's going to come out changed. Well, for the most part, for the most part, unless uh, that person truly gets a, a rehabilitation um, uh, in a serious way and starts to care, 25 years is not going to help somebody to come out better. In fact, they yeah. can come out worse. So... Yeah, and and you know that story is 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 absolutely heartbreaking, and I'm I'm, you know, so saddened, you know, by the fact that he he never had the opportunity, um, you know, for his freedom, and and you know that you and you know those around you had to experience that, and and you know I know for so many, you know, there is no hope. Um, and like I was talking about earlier, like, you know, especially with three strikes, like we're often carved out. And so, so many are inside without hope. Um, and, and for one, we know that um, hopelessness is not conducive to um, that environment. Um, and also, you know, the focus needs to shift away from punishment. Um, you know, somebody said, I can't remember where I heard it, but you know, that, that in this society we're obsessed with punishment, um, or no, we're obsessed with revenge. And so, you know, we are, um, trying to get revenge on people for, you know, the mistakes that they've made, um, instead of trying to then kill people and, and to, um, really restore the community. And, um, you know, in regard to mass incarceration and these long sentences, uh, you know, whether it's three strikes or, or, you know, people who are serving LWAP sentences, um, regardless of what it is, it hasn't made our community safer. It, it hasn't stopped crime. It, it, it hasn't, you know, deterred crime. Um, and so, like you said, like, clearly it's, it's not working. Right. So instead of, you know, doing the definition of insanity like we got to figure out um you know different ways to to really heal and restore our communities exactly i mean the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over but expecting a different result and the results are the same so if you know you want new results you got to do new things i mean and we see a nationwide move going on right now um zykia i wanted to know if there's anything that you could share or what could you share about how the three strikes law disproportionately affects people of color? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, three strikes disproportionately affects, you know, people of color and specifically black people. Um, you know, I believe black people make up about 6% of the population in California, but they make up 45% of the people who are, um, who were struck out and who are serving life sentences because of the three strikes law. Um, and so 45% of the people, that's almost half of the people who are serving three strike sentences are black. Um, and you know, if you're thinking about people of color, I believe it's a uh, 25%, um, you know, of people who are Brown. So that's nearly 75% 
of the people who are serving under three strikes are people of color. And, um, you know, again, when you look at the, the state populations, it's disproportionate. And, um, you know, I really feel like now is the time to repeal the law um, and to, you know, right this wrong that has been done to the black community. You know, it's um, we see how mass incarceration is connected to the end of slavery. And, you know, in a state like California, where we're supposed to be so progressive, um, we have systems that are also racist. Um, and, you know, incarceration is, is one of those systems. And so, um, you know, with the uprisings that we've seen over the summer, um, with the death of George Floyd, um, and people really starting to understand, um, you know, how Black people have been treated in this country um, since we were stolen and brought to, to this land. Um, you know, people are, are starting to understand that, that we need systemic changes in order to start to right the wrongs. Um, and repealing three strikes is one of the steps in, in righting the wrongs. You know, like I said, um, it disproportionately affects um, black people. And, you know, if we say that black lives matter, then we, we need to um, repeal this law um, in addition to the many other things, you know, um, dealing with the, the police and how they interact with black people and brown people and, and um, looking at redlining and looking at, um, you know, how, you know, people of color are, are denied bank loans and the ability to, to buy homes. And, and you know, it, it's so many different um, different um, facets that um, are all interconnected. Right. And so, you know, this, this is just one piece of the puzzle on what we need to do um, to change the, the systemic um, racism um, in this country and specifically in this state. Yeah. It sort of reminds me of the old conversation. And I think me and you've had this conversation uh, a, a while back about the cocaine versus crack cocaine uh, types mm -hmm. of sentences do cocaine and your sentence is, you know, six months to get caught with crack cocaine. And, and next, you know, it's five years. I mean, I thought it was like 20 times the amount of, of time that you would get. And there's a, a big disproportion there and um, you know uh, do you what, what could you say to that yeah um, I know that um, you know sometimes people don't fully understand how um, you know you know there's these um, how people think that um, black people are incarcerated more and and things like that but the the facts and, and the data shows that um, you know Black people do not commit more crimes than white people. However, they are incarcerated um, more often and more harshly than, um, you know, our white counterparts. And like you were stating, the the disproportionate sentences of uh, cocaine, um, powder cocaine and, you know, the rock form of crack and, um, you know, during the, the 70s and, and 80s, you know, we really look at, you know, the 
the effects of the war on drugs. There was mass sweeping of, you know, black people who were, you know, arrested for the use of, of um, crack cocaine or the distribution of crack cocaine. Um, and it was, it was treated as a war um, when it was coming to, you know, in regards to black people um, using drugs. Um, and now we see, even now with kind of the opioid crisis, op- opioid crisis mm-hmm. um, and how it's now a public health crisis and, um, you know, something we all need to, to rally together to, to fix this, this health issue. Um, and so even that just shows when dealing with, with black people using drugs, um, people felt like they needed to be at war with our community because, you know, there was a drug problem and now we're seeing um, that that everyone is is jumping to help, which, yes, we need to help, you know, anybody with a drug um, or substance abuse issue. Um, but we just see the, the differences between the two when we're talking about the black community versus uh, white community, you know, Midwest, middle of America communities. Um and so, yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of disproportion in the sentences for crack and, and cocaine, as well as kind of the war on drugs versus um, the opioid crisis. Um, and so, you know, those are just a couple of examples of how um, black people are treated differently when it comes to sentencing um, versus um, our counterparts. For sure. Oh, it's sad. Um uh, Zykea, I know that um, no one of us is stronger than the many of us, and it's going to take, a, like you said, a coalition um, to come together, to organize in the same way we do with Prop 17 uh, to repeal three strikes law. So where can people go to uh, find out about repeal California's three strikes law coalition? How could they donate? How could they how could their organization or what they're a part of be become a part of the movement um, and join the cause? Yeah, um, so we are working on our website. Um, we have someone volunteering and helping us with that. So hopefully our website will be up in um, the next couple of weeks. Um, but when our website is up, you can go to repeal 3 strikes spelled out.org um, to find us. Um, and again, that will be um, in a couple of weeks, but you can definitely find us on Twitter at repeal the number three strikes. Um, that is our handle there. And then at on Instagram, which it's repeal three strikes spelled out. Um, and also on Facebook, um, please like and share our Facebook page, um, which is you can find us at facebook.com backslash repeal three strikes spelled out. Um, and then you can also send us an email um, at contact at repeal three strikes org. Um, if you have any questions or you want to connect to the movement um, or, um, you know, you want to figure out how you can, um, you know, plug in and, and help us repeal this rep- oppressive law, um, you know, please send us an email um, and we will definitely get back to you as soon as possible. And, um, you know, I also want to encourage, you know, your listeners that if you are, you know, a person like myself who is, um, you know, impacted by the system, who, um, 
you know, is, is feeling hopeless, that your loved one will return home. Um, you know, you have the power to to make the changes that we need. And, um, you know, for me, I, you know, left my super stable government job of, um, you know, being a social worker uh, to do this work full time. And, you know, for me, I, I feel like it was a divine alignment and I feel like I'm walking in my, in my purpose and, and fulfilling my passion. Um, but you know, it, it's up to us to be the change that we need. Um, and so I encourage you to connect to our movement. Um, and, um, you know, let's get this work done. Exactly. Zakia, I love your story. I love how you found your purpose. And like you said, divine alignment, uh, you're definitely being used by God. We appreciate you. And, and like you said, to our listeners, uh, family members and friends of the incarcerated, if your loved one has uh, three strikes and they're still in there, uh, reach out, reach out to um, the organization uh, Zykea is working with and and find out how you can become a part of the cause. I thank you so much for joining our show today um, at the Prison Post. And you can find us uh, at the Prison Post on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. I hope that you'll hit that red uh, subscribe button and um um, start listening to our shows with people like Zykea who are out there making a difference with their time and with their talents uh, for our loved ones who are still incarcerated. Thank you for being on the show, Zykea. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Thank you for listening to The Prison Post, a production of the Crop Organization. We'll be sharing more stories from the world of prison reform and restorative justice, so please join us. You can listen to The Prison Post on all major podcasting platforms. Subscribe to our video cast on YouTube and like us on Facebook at The Prison Post and at Creating Restorative Opportunities and Programs.